Hey, road trippers, you have indeed reached Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. But before we can take off on this week's road trip, we need to fill up the tank, which is code for pay the bills, which is code for run the commercials for the folks who are enabling us to go on these agave road trips. So sit back and Chava and I will circle back to you in a second. Today's program is brought to you by Emmy Cheese. Makers of specialty cheese from Switzerland, crafted with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best-tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere in the United States. But that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kaltbach cave-age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Moine, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. That's E-M-M-I-U-S-A.com. Hey, bartender, it's that time again time for Tales of the Cocktail. Tales of the Cocktail is the world's premier cocktail festival and the biggest trade show for the folks working in the hospitality industry. This year's festival runs September 19th through 23rd, and there are both virtual events and in-person events. And some of those events include your favorite Agave Road Trip hosts. Right. So we're hosting a session called How Not to Kill Your Guests, in which emergency room physician Ryan Acock offers tips on how you can keep your customers off of his gurney. In another session at Tales, one I organized with Anna Nguyen, we suggest how a business can celebrate a different community in a way that is both culturally appropriate and financially successful. It's titled An Imperfect Guide to the Art of Celebrating Cultures. And it includes Lou, which is why it's an imperfect guide, sure. as well as Maestro Eduardo Angeles of La Locura. To attend either of these sessions, register for free at talesofthecocktail.org. Once registered, you can download the app and sign up for our session which you can find easily by searching for me, Lou Bang. Or me, Salvador Peribán. Wait, Salvador? I thought your name was Chava. Okay, Lou, now you're just proving that you're imperfect at celebrating other cultures. But I'm great at celebrating tales of the cocktail. You can also find the link by going to agaveroadtrip.com and looking under our menu, Fun Stuff. And speaking of fun stuff, while you're at the Tales app, go look at the Virtual Agave Road Trip Exhibitor booth. There's an opportunity for bartenders to receive a free tasting kit tied to our next Drink With Us session in October. Oh man, that's a lot, Chava. So wait, so you sign up at talesofthecocktail.org to attend our sessions, which you find by searching our names, and then you have to search for Agave Road Trip Virtual Booth to find registration for our October tasting? What? Isn't there an easier way? Sure. Just send a message to us through the contact page at chagaverroadtrip.com and we'll help you navigate all of this. That's what makes you the perfect co-pilot. All that clear navigation. And if you're hearing this after September 2021, hey, just go to agave.video to watch the archived versions of all of these sessions. But in the meantime, strap yourself in for another episode of Agave Road Trip. I'm a, 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 I'm a,
I am Lou Bank. And I am Chava Perivan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the award-winning podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave, spirits, and rural Mexico. And today, Chava, today you have kept me in the dark. Yes, because sometimes when I give you enough information, I just make you like an anger ball. That's very resistant against anything that I'm going to say. So today I decided to keep it to myself until the last second. I kind of like that idea of anger ball. I think we're going to have to re-record Wonderwall as anger ball. Well, you do whatever you want with your free time, Lou. But the uh, salient conversation today, it's Easter. And which is a discussion that I've heard a lot when I used to, uh, I don't know if I told you this, because I, I used to be a rather active academic terrorist. <laughs> I used to crash into all the lectures of everything. One time I ended up in the International Congress of Peanuts. Mm. It was awesome. Hang on. When you say uh, International Congress of Peanuts, you you are saying like peanuts? like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, the, the things you eat when you're snacking. Wow. Okay. It was four day, Four days talking about peanuts, it was one of the most luxurious symposiums that I've ever been to. So uh, talking coffee. about peanuts, peanut butter, nougat, and rural Georgia. And and there was a, a representative of political lobbyists of the peanut industry. It was it's insane, everything you can say about peanuts. It's almost like a agave road trip. You know what you're talking about, agave? Insane. But anyways, so I used to, anyways. I used to crash into all these uh, symposiums and congresses that I mostly did not quite understand. But uh, I started to take a yeah, pleasure into going into a lot of the art historians' symposiums. Mm-hmm. A conversation that was starting to become very prominent at the time was the distinction between craft and art or artisans and artists. I, I, okay, is, is there some way, pardon the pun, but is there <laughs> some way to explain that in a nutshell? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, basically in the art world, you know, if you run a museum, or you run a gallery mm-hmm. that is specialized in contemporary art, it's very, very, very frowned upon to the point that it will never happen to bring an artisan into the mix. And by artisan, I mean, like, if you go to rural Mexico and you find a family that has been doing pottery for the last 500 years, you will not bring their pieces into your gallery because they're not contemporary expressions. You'll bring up some kid that can barely make clay but does some weird figures but he or she is very contemporary and that's the kind of things they will put in the gallery wow okay so like and and now i understand why you you told me i had to stand (laughs) down because i i have a very hard time distinguishing between the two things so so a there's that and b what does this have to do with uh, agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico? Well, we've discussed in various of our episodes things that have consistently gotten us very frustrated or angry or just not happy with how the world works. <laughs> that's, that's, that's when we're at our best. Yeah, sort of. But for example, do you remember when you were so annoyed at the fact that there was not a $10,000 bottle of mezcal? Or still, that that was not still, a commonplace? Still am, yeah. We're going to make that happen. But... If these people that are doing these things were to be called artists and recognized in those ways, they will probably have the better chances to put those kind of price labels to their products. Huh. So then you, like, what you're suggesting to me is that vintners, I think they're called vintners, the people who make wine? Mm, they are, actually, that, that's a great that's a great argument. And I, I think that's 
uh, second part of what I'm that I will say. Food, no, and <laughs> so I hit. Okay, okay, food and drink have always been in the lower fitting chain of philosophy and 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 art and everything. You know, like, like it's. I, I think it was not until the twentieth century that food was considered to be a like something that was philosophically uh, <laughs> important or that philosophers will talk about because it was like you know a domestic thing. It was. It was like. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, 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 like. How how many food museums do you know? Yeah, well, actually, now they do yeah, have food but, museums. But, it's a very but historically, your point is yeah, your point is well taken. Okay, Java. so so what I'm saying is it's not a problem that it's unique to to mezcal, but uh, but again, like wine has 600 years of being a fancy thing, mezcal doesn't. So I think to turbo boost. Well, well, but 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 but, and maybe this is just. Maybe this is just because I'm so far removed from the wine world, uh, but I can't think of anybody who makes wine who's considered an artist. Where, where my head is going, though, and I don't know, maybe I'm taking us too far afield and you're going to make me start over again for this episode. But, you know, where my head is going is chefs in the last couple of yes. decades yes. have been... Really? They've been... They, they, they've flirted aggressively with the art status. Well, well, like they've they've certainly become rock stars, right? And the next step after rock star is artist. And you see some chefs who are at least acknowledged by other chefs or people working in the field to be high art. Makers of high art. Yeah, and that's happening more and more. And that's a that's a tendency that I keep on saying in the crossover between design, chefs, like art cuisine, all that, they're aggressively flirting with art. Some of them even do like uh, performance art with food. They do installations. They're trying to take some of the money that will traditionally go to galleries and museums and huh. be part of that. And that's the other big part of my argument. Gallery, like museums are usually, I don't know if it, yeah, like I'll say 80% of the museums in the world are publicly funded. Right? There, there's a few private I'm museums. I'm guessing more, but yeah. So you have a lot of public resources that are directed towards contemporary or modern art museums that will never touch mezcaleros or pottery makers or any other sort of artisans because they are undesirable. Well, God, but you know, I feel like those are two very, very different things because you make a piece of pottery and it exists in theory, it can exist in perpetuity. You make a bottle of a of agave spirit, and at some point, somebody who bought it is going to drink it, and it's gone. Well, but the same happens with all the performative arts. You know, after a theater play is done, after a piece of music is played, that disappears. Kind of, sort of. I mean, it can be remade in a, almost, ex well, I guess not the same form, but it can be remade and it can be captured on tape in a way that the spirit can't. But get, like, what's, what's the point you're getting to, Java? Well, my point is, uh, first, that I think there's some potential. Like, I don't, have a I don't have a specific conclusion, but I think that there's a lot of money that usually doesn't touch artisans <laughs> that could get to them if they were reestablished as artists. And my other point is that I think I have enough elements to, to build a case to this. And we were just with Temo, Artemio Garcia, in San Dionisio, mm -hmm. 
and we were interviewing him and uh, in in Oaxaca. In Oaxaca, correct. And you know, we usually <laughs> talk about this this these producers as fourth generation that have been blessed with the multi-generational wisdom and they've had this in their blood and they almost touch an agave and it converts into mezcal. But sometimes I think that by trying to honor these traditions, we sort of not make it very clear that they also tweak and transform their techniques a lot. And I think this... And I think this quote... and, And this is... You know, this is part of my conversation of contemporary. What is contemporary? Something that it's being informed what it, by what's happening around around you right now. And I think these guys are masters of that. Hmm. And uh, like we have a quote. We happily have a quote from Artemio <laughs> that I think illustrates this. You know, I love the music. So you play it like this, someday up, down, and like this. In the in the palenque, the mezcal, it's also like that. Because some of the people, some of the people in Oaxaca, they make mezcal like, uh, you know, you put a chest today and go to the distiller. No, Everybody no. like do the same. And, you know, it's like a music because sometimes I'm playing with the agaves, you know, some of the early, some of them uh, late, some of them I have to do it like faster, some of them I have to do it uh, slower. So, but I play with the with the agaves, you know, mm-hmm. like the yeah, like uh, when I made a uh, second distillation, I do it also. Like uh, you know, some some of the you have to do it like uh, very slow, without fire, just just with with the cold, not with fire. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I, I I do it fast and it's it's good also. So. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Oh, that's really interesting. So, okay. So, and, and, uh, so if people want to drink the, uh, the, the, the music that, uh, that Temo makes, he and his father are brought into the USA by, is it Esfuerzo? Esfuerzo. Esfuerzo. Esfuerzo Mezcal. Yes. Right. So that's really interesting. So my takeaway, Chava, from what he said, well, I'll get to this, like, yeah. <laughs> You're struggling. I I am. I really am struggling with this. So I I think the fine point that I'm gonna pull out of both what you said and out of Temo's quote that I find most interesting is that when I think of contemporary, I tend to think of modern processes, right? I tend to think wrong contemporary wrong. equates <laughs> Well, that's that's what I'm saying, right? Like that's that's literally I'm saying I'm wrong because my head always goes to contemporary, equates to lasers. Uh, these these, yeah, <laughs> I mean in essence lasers, but but all of these industrial processes. But I I really like the idea that contemporary means you're reacting to the things around you, and you can still reflect all of the these these pre-industrial processes that are then informed by things that you see in your day-to-day life that is your modern life. Mm. One of the things I get asked frequently is, where can I drink beautiful heritage agave spirits when I travel to Mexico? And so often when people ask me that question, the first part of it is, 
I'm going to be going to Mexico City. Where can I drink in Mexico City? Now, there are a lot of places that I like to drink in Mexico City. And I have a lot of friends in Mexico City um, who will invite me to their houses to drink the beautiful spirits that they pick up from random communities that they have visited. But now, my podcast co-host, Chava Peribon, has actually set himself up in the Zocalo, the primary Zocalo in Mexico City, in this beautiful centuries-old house where he's offering textiles and ceramics, but also offering private tastings for agave spirits nerds. If you're interested in doing a tasting with Chava Peribon, who leads amazing tastings but records horrible ads... Go to Seminario12.com. That's S-E-M-I-N-A-R-I-O-1-2.com. Or go to Instagram at Seminario12. Send them a message. Tell them when you're coming, and you're going to have the tasting of your life. And I think a huge argument for museums is that they give you a glimpse into which was the, the way that society behaved at the time, right? When you go and see a Rotko from the 40s or the 30s, you get, I don't know if Rotko was active in the 30s, but let's say he was. Uh, like, the idea is that through the art... <laughs> that was a guy? Rotko, yeah. Um, oh, cool, oh kid. Rothko. Yeah. Oh, he's Chicago. Yes, well, I didn't know that. I love the kid with oh. a passion. But anyways, uh, supposedly through the art that it's produced in a, in a moment of history, you get to understand that moment in history with more precision, right? That's sort of the argument for historical collections. Sure. I will argue that Mezcal could also be part of that. I think you could understand the 2000s, the 90s, the 80s, by the Mezcal that was produced in those times. And it is as important as to keep those collections and preserve them and give it access to people to that as it is to preserve a Rotko. Huh. I... Huh. <laughs> I, I, I just, no, I'm just, honestly, I'm confused. I'm confused how you preserve it. Uh, I think if you buy enough, uh, you know, you just, see that I'm just, flirting for a project I, here? I, 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 well, I, I do, because you're always flirting for a project. But um, it, it turns out he's a Russian. Rothko was Russian and he was in... Of course, I was like, he made a... And he was in Portland, Oregon. I was honestly thinking of Royko, who was a journalist <laughs> in Chicago. Anyway, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I was extremely confused. But again, like I don't have a computer to fact check myself. As, as, long, as long as it gives me the opportunity to put Mike Royko in our episode notes, I'm good with it. Lovely. So all I'm saying is I, I, I think that we have to understand these people and the things that they do with a new vocabulary. And I think that vocabulary, I find, to be more present in how we describe art or contemporary art these days than the language that we have usually used to define craft and traditions. And what does this mean then, Chava? What does this mean to a gringo bartender? Well, I, I think I think it's crazy exciting. I think it is crazy exciting to to think that this is not a time capsule. This is far better than a time capsule. This is not like, oh, I'm tasting the old ways. This is I'm tasting something that shouldn't exist right now and that is reacting with the present in unlikely ways. Hmm. Almost like uh, like uh, historical fiction. Almost yes. I love that. I love. It. 
Finally, Lou. Finally, you said something amazing. Yes, this is this is this is like having access to historical fiction that it's evolving in front of you all the time. Huh. That's sort of like the it's the steampunk movement in a bottle. Steampunk movement. Uh, I'm not not sure of that reference. Google Google that after the episode. You'll, okay, yeah, but you'll... I'll say yes. I'll, whatever has okay. punk in it and it's related to mescal, I'm happy to say yes. <laughs> So I, you know, I don't want to get into another 20-minute conversation with you about what isn't isn't punk, right? Cuz <laughs> cuz now like you think the artist and artist artisan conversation, but what I will say is and I guess oh, but this kind of does Okay. What I will say is Okay, okay. Temo played some beautiful music for us. And and I don't like is it was that artisan music or was that artist music? And all I know is I freaking loved it, and it makes me want to bring him to the U.S. so that you and I and Temo, you know where I'm going with this. I know where you're going. Please go. I don't want to interrupt So it. that we can do a tour. I want to do Agave Road Trip Live with Temo where he's like we can interview him and we can drink his spirits and he can play music. And that, that sounds like fun to me, so maybe we should just play out on one of his songs? Oh, yes. Roy is going to love this. He made some amazing recordings of his accordion. So, yes, let's do that. Okay, I'll catch you next episode. Adios. Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lubank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.